Well, we've been in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace called Knowing God for the past 10 weeks, where we've been getting to know what God is really like. And last week, we learned that God is faithful. He always keeps His promise. If God says He's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. It's a, it's a done deal. In fact, I want you to pull out that little card. It says faithful. It's inside your, uh, your program. And we've printed one up for each week of the series. I've got them all right here, and I've just punched a hole in mine and put a little ring through it. And it's just a way for me to keep track of what the Word of God has to say uh, about God. I know that everybody's got an opinion of who God is. Hollywood's got an opinion of who God is. You've got an opinion. I've got an opinion. You know, your Uncle Joe's got an opinion. You know, everybody's got an opinion of who God is. And this has been a series where we've simply looked at the Word of God, and we've let God tell us about who He is. And I hope that somehow these little cards have been a blessing to you. I've heard some neat things, some neat stories from some of you, how you've been able to use them in your children's lives, some of you your grandchildren's lives. Some of you at work have had these on your, on your desk, and some of your coworkers have come by and asked about them. And you've just simply been able to use the Scriptures to show them who God is. And I know it's uh, you know, been used, these have been used to help you really lead into some great spiritual uh, discussions. Now today we're going to wrap up the series by looking at the theological truth or the fact that God is gracious. Psalms 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord are a compassionate and gracious God. You're a gracious God. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that God is gracious? Well, it means a lot of things, but let me give you kind of a baseline meeting. And I'll do it by uh, contrasting two different uh, words, okay? Mercy, mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve. And that's his punishment. That's mercy. Grace is when God does give me what I don't deserve, which are his blessings. So mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve, and what I do deserve is his punishment. Grace, on the other hand, is when God does give me what I don't deserve, and that's his blessings. And the Bible says that God longs to be gracious to you. He, he longs to give you what you don't deserve. He longs to, to pour out His blessings on your life. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. And because God is faithful... Because God can't lie. He always keeps His promise. He always does what He says. You can take that to the bank. God longs to give to you what you don't deserve. His blessings. Why? Why is God like this? Beloved, God is like this because it's within His very nature to bless. He can't help it. It's just who He is. It's just within His very nature to give to you things you don't deserve. His blessings. 
God loves to be gracious. And let me tell you why this attribute of, of God is so important. It's important because grace is at the very heart of your relationship with God. Grace is at the very heart of your belief in God or your faith in God. In fact, I'll go as far to say that you really can't understand the Christian life unless you have some sort of understanding of God's grace. You see, it's easy to sing that song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We sing it. Because it's absolute truth. I want you to know, Christian, the, the, the greater your understanding of grace, the greater and deeper and richer your relationship with God will be. The greater and, and, and deeper you know, you're, you'll be drawn to God, the more you'll love God, the, the richer and deeper your worship will be to God. But here's the problem. Here's the problem that we have here in the United States of America. Yes, it's easy to sing that song. But we've got a problem as it relates to, to, to understanding what God's grace is all about. And that's what's commonly called the American work ethic. Which basically teaches that you get what you pay for in life. The American work ethic says that there's no such thing as a free lunch. The American work ethic says that if you want to make in this, in this world, you've got to work hard. You've got to put a little more grease into whatever it is you're doing. Beloved, in America, you know, we value effort. We value hard work. We value sweat. We tell people, you know, you get what you deserve in life. Now, here's the problem for us that have grown up under this mentality. According to the Bible, God doesn't operate on the American work ethic. In fact, this mentality actually keeps people from relating to God. It keeps people from experiencing a deep relationship with God because they think that somehow God has this same mentality. God only, you know, helps those that help themselves kind of a thing, but he doesn't. The Bible tells us something way different about God. The Bible says that God operates from a different mindset. The mindset of grace. God says, I'm going to do for you things that you don't deserve. I I'm going to pour out my blessing on your life, not because you deserve them or because you worked hard for them, but simply because I'm a God of grace. Simply because I want to give them to you. Which means that when it comes to your journey of faith, you've got to get this American work ethic out of your mind because it has no place. Especially as it relates to your salvation, which is the first of three things that we're going to look at. Okay? Number one, and for some of you, man, what I'm going to say next is just going to bother you. Boy, this just gets some people so riled up. Number one, you're saved by God's grace. You're saved by God's grace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Beloved, this is the most basic truth of Christianity. You're made right with God simply by His grace. 
And I think most Christians understand this concept that we're saved by grace. We're saved simply because God gave us it. It's a gift. But I've discovered that many Christians, although they know they're saved by grace, don't act like it. They spend most of their life thinking and acting like they're saved by works. They live as if God is walking around, you know, with some cosmic clipboard, you know. Oh, that was good. That was bad. Oh, that was really good. Oh, that was really bad. Okay, you just gave an offering. Oh, you went on a missions trip. Oh, you did this. Oh, you came to church. Oh, you stayed home. And there he is with this cosmic clipboard watching everything you do. And somehow, when it's all said and done, you know, if your good deeds somehow outweigh your bad deeds, then, woo, you made it. But if the bad deeds somehow outweigh the, you know, the good deeds, bummer, down elevator, you know. What a horrible way to live. How could you really ever know? People verbally say that they're saved by grace, but they actually live a life of works because they think that somehow their salvation is somehow tied to their performance. And your salvation isn't tied to your performance. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3. He said, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And all need to be made right with God by working really hard. No. All need to be made right with God by going on missions trips. No. All need to be made right with God by living perfect lives. No. You're made right with God by His grace. You don't deserve it. And then he adds this. That grace is nothing but a free gift. That's what it is. Beloved, salvation is a gift, a free gift that God offers you. You don't work for a gift. If you have to work for a gift, it ain't a gift. God says salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't barter for it. It's free. In fact, this is the fundamental difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world today or every other belief system in the world today. I don't care if it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever. They're all based on works. There are certain things you do in order to gain God's approval. It just varies from one religion to another. Christianity, on the other hand, is the only religion that's built on grace. The only religion. It is what separates us from every other religion and every other belief system. Grace. You don't do anything. You can't do anything. Christianity is based simply on what's already been done, what was done on the cross by Jesus Christ. He paid for your salvation. He paid for your sins. It's already been done. I had a guy ask me one time, I may have shared this with you, Pastor Rick, what can I do to be saved? And I said to him, Joe, I got some bad news for you. You're too late. 
And this totally blew him out of the water. And he said to me, Pastor Rick, what do you mean it's too late? And I said, you're about 2,000 years too late. What needed to be done for your salvation has already been done. And there's nothing you can do to add to it or take away from it. Jesus Christ already did it. He paid for your salvation on the cross. And now he just offers it to you simply as a gift, a free gift. All you got to do is accept it. Beloved, what was the very last thing that Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross? It's recorded for us in John chapter 19. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. 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 Now, he didn't say, I'm finished. Because he's not finished. He's alive today, working in the lives and the hearts of people. It says, it is finished. Well, what's the it? What's finished? What's finished, beloved, is the plan to make everything right between you and God. That's finished. The plan to cleanse you of your sins. That's what's finished. The plan to restore your relationship to God. That's what's finished. The redemptive work. That's what's finished. And now today God says, here it is. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's done. Beloved, I'm going to be in heaven not based on what I've done. My wife sat right down there last night. Look, I'm not a perfect person and just, amen. (laughs) Just humbling moments, you know. (laughs) Look, look, beloved, I've got sin in my life. You wouldn't believe some of the things that run through my brain at times. I don't love the way God expects me to love. I don't treat people always the way God says I'm supposed to treat people. I don't get to heaven because of anything I've done. I get to heaven because of what's already been done. You see, Jesus was the second person of the Holy Trinity. He was absolutely perfect, holy, and righteous. And when I accepted that free gift, when I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life, He did exactly that. He came into my life. And by virtue of my relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Perfect One, God now sees me as holy, righteous, and perfect. That's a win. That's good news. And there's nothing I can do to add to that. It's just simply Jesus. That's why all the songs, you know, Jesus, it's all about Jesus around this place. What Jesus did at the cross was enough. It finished the plan that God had to make us right between him and himself. Now the Bible is full of stories that illustrate the principle of grace. And one of my favorites is found in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a story of this young disabled boy named Mephibosheth. Maybe you've heard of him. You've got to name your next child that. He was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of King Saul. Remember the story of David and Saul? Saul was the current king. 
But David was anointed to be the new king, and so Saul was really jealous of, of David. In fact, Saul chased him all over the countryside trying to kill him. But David never retaliated. In fact, David became best friends with Saul's son, a guy by the name of Jonathan. And they made a secret covenant that if either one of them were to die, that they would take care of each other's families. Now later on, both King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And when King David was killed in battle, then David, you know, became the king. And all of Saul's relatives immediately freaked out and they were fearful for their lives, thinking now that David's the king and now that he's in control of everything, he's going to come and kill us because of how crummy and how mean Saul had treated him. So they all tried to run and hide kind of a thing. Well, one of these relatives was uh, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He was terribly disabled. He had two bad legs. So here's this young disabled boy living in fear, frightened for his life, that the man who was now king would retaliate against him. Well, one day David says to his servants, is there anybody still alive in Saul's household that I can show mercy to, kindness to, grace to? And David's servant said, yes, there is. There's this one little boy. He's a disabled boy named Mephibosheth. And he can't walk, you know, or, or anything. And David said, I want you to bring him to me. Now, could you imagine you're this young boy and King David's servants show up to say, hey, the king wants to see you. He summoned you to his palace. This kid's freaked out. He thinks this is his last day on planet Earth. The king's, you know, got power of the sword. He's going to whack his head off. But that's not what happened. He shows up, and David said, Meshippetheth, I'm going to take you in and make you a part of my family. I want you to live here in my palace for the rest of your life. I'm going to pay all your bills. I'm going to meet all your needs. You're going to sit at my table each night and dine with me, and I'm going to treat you as if you were one of my own sons. That's grace. He was giving something to this young boy that he didn't deserve. He was, he was given something that he had earned and he hadn't worked for. It was simply a gift, a free gift. All this young boy had to do was accept it. David didn't say, listen, I'll let you into my home. I'll let you eat at my table. I'll give you all the food, give you your clothes, clothing and all that. As long as you do X, Y, and Z for me. No, he didn't do that. He just simply said, come on in. I'm going to treat you as one of my own. That's grace. Now, what I love about this story is that it's really a story of all of us. We're all broken physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. And in the midst of our brokenness, God comes and extends his kindness to us, his grace to us. He says, I'm going to bring you into my family. I want you to sit at my table. I'm going to treat you like royalty. I'm going to treat you like you were my own. Not because you deserve it. Not because you did anything to earn it. Simply because I'm gracious. That story in 2 Samuel is the story of Jesus Christ. The story of God and his grace to us. That boy didn't do anything to deserve to sit at the table of King David. Nothing. It was just a gift. And I don't, I don't deserve to sit at the table of Christ. And there's nothing I can do to make, you know, God go, wow, what a great guy, you know. Come on up here. It's simply a gift that God offers me because he's, he's gracious. 
Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, for, the, for by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God which He gave to us in such large measure. <laughs> Beloved, when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, He paid for all your sins. All you have to do is, is accept it. That's it. Think about this. If you could somehow work your way into heaven or earn your way into heaven, everybody would be up there bragging, wouldn't they? Hey, yeah, man, I got here because, you know, I gave a lot of money in church. Woo, that's why I'm here. Or let me tell you how I got here. You know, I was a missionary for 30 years. And so we'd all be up there talking about all the things we did to get there. And there's Jesus in the background with his hands, you know, with nails in him and his head with a crown of thorns on him, just kind of irrelevant to the conversation. Let me tell you something. It is absolutely blasphemous to add anything to Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. Blasphemous. You don't add anything to salvation. Nothing. Zero. To think that Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, the perfect Son of God, and that wasn't enough? Are you kidding me? Look, your good deeds play a role in life, but they have nothing to do with your salvation. You are not saved because you do X, Y, and Z. Like somehow, well, yeah, what he did was, was good, but I've got to add a few things to it. <laughs> really? If you had to work for your salvation, then obviously the moment you stopped working, you'd lose it, wouldn't you? If you had to earn your salvation, then the moment you stopped earning it, you'd lose it. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches clearly that salvation is simply a free gift that God offers. Look, I wish I could tell you that I, you know, since I've given my life to the Lord, that I've done everything right. I haven't. I can't. It's impossible. So I guess, you know, if you had to earn it, then the moment you stopped earning, then you'd lose it. The moment you stopped working, then you'd lose it. Oh, I got it back again because I'm working hard again. Oh, I lost it. Oh, I got it back again. You could never know that you were saved. You could never know. John said, I have written these things that you may know. You may know. You may know. And how do you know? Because you've simply received the free gift that God offers. Now, not only are you saved by God's grace, but number two, you're transformed by God's grace. And Titus chapter 2 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. <laughs> Beloved, you don't have anything to do with your transformation. You don't have any power in and of yourselves to somehow transform your life. 
You see, you're saved by the grace of God and you're transformed by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to these ungodly things, unholy things. It's the grace of God that teaches you, that gives you the power to live a holy life, a godly life, a self-controlled life, whatever all that might be. It's the grace of God that produces the fruit in your life. Do you think you have the power within you to produce the fruit of the Spirit? You don't. Some people think they do. If I just work hard enough and I just do this and I do, wow, I'll produce the fruit. No, no, you won't. You won't. You just make yourself tired. You'll exhaust yourself. Beloved, at the very moment you accepted God's free gift of salvation, at that very moment, God gave you his Holy Spirit to live within you. And one of the reasons God gave you his Holy Spirit to live within you was so that he could transform your life. See, one of the reasons God sent his Holy Spirit into your life was so that he, his power, could transform your life. That he could transform you into a different person. A person set free from the tyranny of sin. A person set free from worldly passions. A, a person that would live a God-honoring life. But once again, the American work ethic gets, gets in the way because too many Christians think that it's their responsibility to transform their lives. Like somehow they've got the power to pull it off. And you don't. You don't. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2. He said, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you did that, continue to live in him. Beloved, how did you receive Christ? By working real hard, you know, to be good all the time? No. By promising to be perfect? No. By promising to go to church every weekend? No. By promising to, you know, work hard to never sin again? No, you received Christ by simply accepting God's free gift into your life, by letting Jesus Christ come into your life. And the way you continue in your relationship with Jesus Christ is the same way. According to Paul, just as you received him, you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't promise to live a perfect life. You didn't promise to live a sinless life. You just accepted the free gift. And Paul says, well, that's how I want you to continue in him. That's how I want you to do it. Now, how, how do you do that, though, Pastor? How does that work? How do you allow God to continue in your, in, you know, to work in your life? Well, I think there's lots of ways, but let me give you one big one. One of the great ways you allow God to work in your life is by filling your mind with the scriptures. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, as, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies over to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then he says in verse two, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God do it. Quit trying to do it yourself. Let God do it. And he does it by changing the way you think. You've got to change the way you think. 
Now, to really understand what, God's ta- what, what Paul's talking about here in Romans 12, you've got to go back to your high school days when you were sitting in your biology class. Okay? Look at the word transformed. You see it there in verse 2? In the Greek, that's the word metamorphosis. Remember in biology class when you put a caterpillar inside of a glass container and then in a few days it would spin a cocoon and then a butterfly would come out? That's metamorphosis. The caterpillar changes or transforms into something totally different. And when you accepted God's free gift of salvation, when you surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, in a weird way, you entered God's cocoon, his cocoon of grace. And just like the caterpillar is changed into a butterfly while inside the cocoon, God is transforming you into the man or woman he wants you to be. And the first step in that is filling your mind with his word. So God come into my life and he comes in. And then you're now in this cocoon of grace where God begins to work and transform you into the man that you are today, the woman you are today, into something new. And God's the one who's doing it. And one of the things that he uses is the Word of God. I think this is the primary tool that he uses. Filling your minds you know, your mind with his word. Changing the way you think through the scriptures. Look, what role did you play in growing physically? Think about it. When you were born, you know, you've seen baby pictures of when you were born. And now here you are, whatever age you are. What what role did you play growing physically? Really, one, you ate food. And it just happened. You, you couldn't speed along your physical growth. It, it just happened. Well, the same thing is true in your spiritual life. You can't make yourself grow. You can't do it. But what you can do is you can feed yourself, if you will, the Word. And when you feed yourself the Word, it's unbelievable what happens inside the cocoon of God's grace. Unbelievable what will, what will take place. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, this is what we as believers live on. This is our food. This is what feeds the inner man, the spiritual man. This. Zig Ziglar had a a great illustration that he gave. He said, he was talking about how we have our flesh, and Paul said no good dwells in our flesh. You know, it's just the headquarters of sin. And yet, when you ask Christ to come into your life, now all of a sudden you've got the Spirit. And he gave this illustration. He said, I want you to imagine a German shepherd right here. And I want you to imagine a German shepherd right here. And what we're going to do is, we're going to feed this German shepherd, you know, a couple times a day, Alpo, give it water, all that kind of stuff. And this German shepherd over here, we're not going to feed for, for a month. No food, nothing. Well, now you can imagine this dog over here is all healthy and Vibrant, and this dog over here can barely stand, and its ribs are all showing, you know. And, and now what we're going to do is we're going to let those two dogs get in a fight. 
Well, it's obvious who wins. It's the dog that was well fed. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, the flesh is healthy. The flesh is well fed. It, it's ready to go to war at any moment. It's ready to get you to think about ungodly things, unholy things, uh, 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 worldly things. Your spirit, on the other hand, it isn't well fed. You've you got to take some action, man. You've got to make sure that you're, you're spending time in the Word of God, making sure that that inner man, the spiritual person within you is, is well fed, so that when these two go to war, you got a chance. The reason why some of you just spend much of your Christian life in perpetual sin is because you're just not feeding the inner man. And what kind of person does God want to transform you into? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, this doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Transforming into the likeness of Christ, having the same attitude of Jesus, takes time. Getting to the point in your life where you can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live a self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, but it will never happen if you don't spend any time in the Word of God. This is the key. That's why, you know, we have men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. It's why when someone comes to faith in Christ here, the first thing we want to do is get them in the follow class. And the very first lesson of the follow class is the Bible and the importance of the Bible. That's why we have the fundamentals of the faith class. Nancy Behrens is teaching Experiencing God going through that great series with Blackaby. It's the Word of God that changes the way we think. It's, it's what happens inside the cocoon of God's grace that takes us from being whatever we are today to whatever it is God would want us to be. So you're saved by God's grace and you're transformed by God's grace. And last but not least, you're sustained by God's grace. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Beloved, God always finishes what he starts. It doesn't say God might finish the good work. Then say that. If it said that, then I'd be preaching something different today. It doesn't say, well, God hopes to finish the good work. Doesn't say that, does it? It says God will finish the good work. The moment that you received God's free gift, the moment you received God's Son into your life, at that moment, you were put into God's cocoon of grace. And you know what? God's going to finish the job. He's, now, He may not finish it as fast as you want or as fast as your spouse wants or whatever, whatever. But God will finish the work. If you've surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
If you said, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life, God's going to finish the good work he began in you. You're going to make it across the finish line. You're going to get to heaven. It's a done deal. The only thing that we as believers have to wrestle around with is this. How we finish the race. Some finish the race strong. The great apostle Paul fought the good fight. Finished the race. Kept the faith. Some are going to bumble and fumble their way across the finish line. Some will just kind of crawl across the finish line. God's going to sustain you. He's going to finish the good work. You're going to get there. The only question, Christian, is, is how you're going to get there. How are you going to finish the race? Bottom line is, you're going to finish. Now, as your pastor, I want you to finish well. I don't want you just to get to heaven or cross the finish line. I want you to finish well. The pastors of this church want you to finish well. The elders of this church want you to finish well. We don't want you just to say, man, I got there. Woo! I want you to enjoy all that God has given you, the abundant life. I, I want you to figure out what God's purpose is in your life and live it out. I, I want you to figure out you know, what God made you to do and then encourage you to do it. I want your one life to count for something. I think it's one of the reasons God left the church here. It's because he wanted you to finish well. He's going to get you across the line. Even if he's got to drag you across the line, he's going to get you there. But God doesn't want to drag you across the line. God wants you to finish well. And that's why he left the church, so that we could encourage one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That we could be there to say, hey, man, you're blowing it, man. Get back on the right path. Man, hey, you're doing great. Hip, hip, hooray. That's why there's a church family. God longs for you to finish the race well. God has made it possible for every Christian to finish well. When you accepted Christ in your life, he came into your life. He lives within you. You've got the power to finish well. Beloved, there are a ton of pitfalls along the journey of faith. There are all kinds of things that can mess you up as you walk with the Lord. Life is full of temptations and pain and sorrow and troubles and distractions. And these bodies of ours just get tired and wore out and they fall apart. But regardless of what you go through, no matter what life throws at you, you can always count on God's grace you know, being there for you. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what the temptations are, what's going on with your body, you're getting old, I'm too young, I'm da da. It doesn't matter what it is. Peter said, I'm writing this to assure you that my grace is with you. You can make it through whatever it is. God's grace is with you to give you the power to keep going when you feel like giving up. God's grace is with you to give you the power to do the right thing even when you don't feel like doing the right thing. 
Paul said, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God's there. He wants you to finish well. He doesn't want temptation. He doesn't want whatever it is to trip you up. He wants you to finish the race well. But even if temptation does get to you, He'll drag you across the line because he will finish it. He will. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, for God is working in you. I'm not working in you. The pastors aren't working in you. The elders aren't working in you. Your mentor's not working in you. God is the one who's working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. The Christian life is not a matter of, you know, your will and your power, you know, your willpower, but it's a matter of God's will and God's power in your life. I was thinking about Noah. Last week, if you are here, I talked about him. And I thought about, you know, the over 100 years it took him to build the ark. And, and I, I thought about, man, that took a lot of patience. You know, I can't even... I can't even wait 10 minutes for lunch. You know what I mean? I'm going to get to a restaurant today, and they're going to say, yeah, it's a 20-minute wait. And I'd rather get in my car and drive a half an hour than wait 20 in a line. It's unbelievable. And I was thinking about Noah. Man, 120 years or so. And then everybody's mocking him. Everybody's making fun of him. How did he do it? How did he stay on track? How did he not get tired? Surely he had to get tired building the ark. Surely he had to get discouraged. But the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6, it says this, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> it was his grace. Yeah, Noah got tired, but he found God's grace. Yeah, I'm sure Noah got discouraged. But he found God's grace. Yeah, I'm sure, like, I'm sure Noah felt like giving up. But he found God's grace. Peter says the grace of God is always there for you too. It's there for you. You're saved by God's grace. You're transformed by God's grace. And God's grace is going to sustain you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I just want you to, 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 to end well now I want to ask uh, Pastor Scott and some of the, the band to come up here because we're, we're going to sing a, a great song together. And I've already told the, the, the ushers to watch the doors because some of you are going to want to get out of here because you think it's over. <laughs> it ain't over. And they've got stun guns. And, uh, <laughs> but together, in, in unity, I want us to sing this great song. It's going to be a great way to end our series. But I also want us in unity out loud to say these 10 great attributes of God together. And so I want you to, 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 to stand up, okay? Everybody, everybody stand up. And we're going to say these 10 things out loud, and then, and then we're going to sing this great song together to end our series. So here we go. We're going to say these out loud. Number one, God is all-knowing. Number two, God is everywhere. Number three, God is all-powerful. Number four, God is unchanging. Number five, God is holy. Number six, 
God is in control. Number seven, God is love. Number eight, God is merciful. Number nine, God is faithful. Number 10, God is gracious. Amen. Let's sing together.